Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Hope. I know you've been welcomed a number of times already, but I just want to pass along my word of welcome. Thanks so much for being here. My name is Tom O'Connell. I serve here at Hope as one of the pastors. I'd love to talk with you, especially if uh, maybe you have some questions about Hope Church. I'll be out in the lobby right outside these back doors of our sanctuary. Love to connect uh, with you. Uh, if you have your Bible uh, or an app on a device, uh, I'd encourage you uh, to turn to the book of John. John uh, chapter 11 is where we're going to spend uh, our time uh, this morning. Scott and Maureen, thanks so much for being here. Scott, thanks for having the courage, both of you having the courage to share your story uh, vulnerably with us. And guys, I would encourage you to be here Wednesday, uh, or excuse me, Thursday uh, evening. I'm planning to be here Thursday evening, and uh, just would love for you guys to be here to talk about these things. Um, these, are, these are important things we have to talk about, and uh, so encourage, encourage you to come. And uh, so as you're turning uh, to John chapter 11, I want to let you know something that's coming up a week uh, from Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, on March 7th. On Wednesday night, we're going to have a healing service. Uh, Scott and Jeff just talked about how we believe that God is still a healing God today. And we just don't want to think about that or, uh, you know, uh, um, talk about it. We actually want to pray uh, for people that they be well. That, that sick people would be healed. Um, as we think about a healing service, um, and even the, that maybe the diverse experiences that are even represented in this room, when you think about praying for the sick or praying for those who are physically uh, sick, praying for emotional needs, for relational needs, for uh, spiritual needs that might need healing, uh, we all bring different experiences to this topic. Some of us come here today, maybe out of an experience where uh, you saw people maybe lined up and touched on the head and fall back. And, and you saw that take place maybe in the, in the church environment you grew up in. It maybe scared you. We're like, what is going on? So when you think about healing, that's maybe what comes to your mind. Some of you, maybe some of us maybe grew up in a tradition where we didn't believe that Jesus still healed today that there was something that took place in the Bible, first century when Jesus was living and the apostles uh, after Jesus, but, but it kind of stopped. It, it doesn't, it's not something we should do. And, and some of us bring the experience, we've never seen it. We, we're like, I, I see it in the Bible, but I don't know how that all works in the church. So what's going to take place on Wednesday the 7th at 6.30 is there gonna be, there's going to be some worship. We're going to sing together. Uh, we're going to look at God's word. What does it have to say about healing? And then we're going to pray. We're going to pray in some teams. We have some people that are uh, ready to pray for you. A couple people together will gather around you. And, and if there's a physical need, a spiritual need, an emotional need, a relational need, uh, whatever it might be, we really believe that Jesus still heals today. And so we just don't want to talk about it, but we want to create opportunities or environments for that to take place. So in a couple weeks, on Wednesday the 7th, uh, 6.30, we go till about 8. Um, we'd love to have you come. If you've never been on a Wednesday night, we offer uh, kids ministry for birth all the way to 5th grade. And then we have middle school ministry, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade ministry that meets. So if you have kids any in those age brackets, they would be in ministry while you're here in the service. Uh, so I invite you to come. I invite you to bring friends, neighbors who they might have things going on in their lives. We want to even push this out into the community to pray uh, for anyone. Uh, who might desire prayer. So I invite you to come, uh, plan on coming on March 7th. So last week, we began a five-week series during the weeks of Lent, uh, thinking about some what we call essential practices. We're using this book, um, 
Many of you even have this book with you this morning. If you don't have a copy of this book, you can pick one up uh, in our cafe, which is right out these doors to your right. Um, these are being sold for $15 in our cafe. And what we're doing is we're taking time during the season of Lent. Lent, we give up things uh, for Lent to uh, focus more on seeking God. But over these weeks, we not only want to give things up, we want to pick some things up. We want to pick up some practices. And last Lent this year, we focused on the first three practices in this book, praise, forgiveness, and relinquishment. And over these five weeks, we're thinking about the last three, lament, listening prayer, and self-examination. And, and as we think of these practices, they're really the way I like to think about them. One of the ways I like to think about them are tools in our toolbox. When I was growing up, many of my summers were spent working with my dad. My dad is in the construction field, did mostly uh, vinyl siding, installation, windows, those types of things. So many summers, I would be with him uh, during the week, working with him. And in the back of his pickup truck, uh, uh, he had this huge toolbox that was just filled with tools. And the reality is, when we went to a job uh, to, uh, for a week or a month, however long it took, we didn't, the reality is we didn't use all the tools in the toolbox. We used the ones that were needed depending on the situation or the work that needed to be done at the house. And when we think about these practices, when we think about lament and listening prayer and self-examination, you might be in a point right now where you might not need necessarily those, any of those practices. But we want to put them in your toolbox, so to speak, so that when the need arises, when the pain of loss won't go away, when you're wrestling through a decision, what do I do with this? When, you're, when life seems difficult, you have a tool you can go to and say, this is what I'm going to do. This is the pathway that I'm going to use in order to seek God's help in the midst of what's happening in my life. So that's kind of the heart behind these. Again, as we talk even about uh, the idea of lament today, it might not be something you necessarily need right now. But I'm pretty sure there probably will come a time, even based on what Scott just talked about, of pain, there will come a time in our lives where we have to think and use the pathway known as lament. And that's what we're thinking about over, we started last week, we'll wrap it up with this week. So the idea of lament, when the pain of loss won't go away. We all vividly remember those firsts as you enter a new career or job. You remember the first time you did a number of things, and the same would be true as a pastor. I vividly remember the first time I put a sermon together and stood up before a congregation to preach and how I could literally feel my knees knocking together as I stood behind the pulpit. I remember my first wedding that I was invited to do. And I also remember the first time I was asked to officiate a funeral. I remember the call. It was in February of 2002. It was a Monday morning around 3 or 4 in the morning. It's one of those phone, when your phone rings at that time of night or morning, you know something's not right. And I picked up the phone, and there's a gentleman by the name of Ed on the other line, and he said, Tom, this is Ed. Ron is being rushed to the hospital. They believe he had a brain aneurysm. We need to go. So Lori and I quickly got dressed, jumped in our car. We were living in Lodi at the time, and we drove from Lodi to then the Wadsworth Rittman Hospital. And we made our way there, and we made our way into the emergency room, and we were met with sounds that I will never forget. The sounds of tragic and sudden loss. 
Those sounds, those tears, the weeping and wailing were coming from Natalie, Ron's wife, and their two daughters. Ron and Natalie were part of our church that really just got off the ground three months before that. They were part of the original Bible study that helped launch Lodi Community Church. I just saw Ron the day before at church. We talked at church. And early that morning, Ron suffered a brain aneurysm and died. And I remember standing with that family over the process, the, the calling hours, and then the funeral service, and then the graveside service. And now, 16 years into being a pastor, I have stood with numerous families through the funeral process and at the graveside. I've, I've not only stood as a pastor, I've also stood as a family member and one who is grieving the loss of a family member at, the graves, at their graveside, saying our earthly goodbyes to them. And, and I'm almost certain most of us, if not all of us in this room today, have been there. We've been there. You've been there as the family member or as the friend, grieving the loss of this loved one. And that's the place we're going today. We're going to the graveside. We're going to this familiar place to learn more about lament. We're going to watch today Jesus at this place, this familiar place for most of us here today. We're going to watch him grieve the loss of a friend, lament the loss of a friend. And we're going to watch him enter the grief of others. We're going to watch him at the graveside. John chapter 11 might be a familiar passage to some here today. We're not going to read all of this chapter. There's a number of verses in it, 57 to be exact. We're just going to focus on uh, 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 several of them. But I want to set the context so we know kind of where we're going and what we're talking about. Mary and Martha are Lazarus's sisters. This, these three, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, were very good friends of Jesus. Jesus spent time. We have numerous stories of him being with them. These were people he would associate with, he, would, he was friends with, he shared life with. And Mary and Martha send word to Jesus because of their relationship that Lazarus, their brother, is sick. We don't know how long he's been sick. We don't know if it's weeks, months, days, but they know this. This isn't good. And they know Jesus. And they've heard the stories. They've maybe even seen the miracles of how he has opened blind eyes and healed the lame and opened withered hands. They know this about him, so they send word to him. And they don't even say Lazarus is sick. They say the one you love. Talking in that talks about the intimacy of their friendship, of their relationship. They send word that Lazarus is sick, but Jesus does something so interesting. When he hears that Lazarus is sick, he doesn't go immediately. John 11 tells us he actually stayed where he was two more days. Two more days he stays. And we get a sense that Jesus knows when he does eventually go to be with Lazarus or be with Mary and Martha. We get a sense of why he's going. In John chapter 11, starting in verse 11, it says this, After he had said this, he went on to tell them, 
Tell his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Jesus stays two more days where he is and then makes his way to Bethany, just a short distance from where he is. And what we're going to learn today are graveside lessons on lament in a very familiar place that all of us have most likely been. And as we talk about this type of loss, obviously the context of this story is death. The death of a loved one, the death of a friend. And I just want to remind us that when we talk about loss, we talked about this last week, but just want to bring it again to the surface to talk about just for a moment to recognize again that loss, as we think about loss, it's not just, we're not just talking about death. We're talking about lamenting. We're not just dealing with lamenting the loss of loved ones and friends that have died. Loss is normal to life. Losses can be a sense of betrayal, our health, season of life, the dreams that have come crashing down. Maybe even this week you have experienced, even as we talked about this last week, maybe your eyes were open to something that maybe was a week or so ago you would have thought was insignificant. But now as we talk about lamenting and paying attention to losses, you realize, man, there was something even this week that was a loss. Maybe you didn't end up at a funeral home to grieve with friends, but there was a loss. There was a hurt. There was a disappointment. There was something painful that happened in your life even this week. And I believe these graveside lessons on lament transcend beyond just when friends or family members die, but they transcend into all. Help us, help us walk this pathway known as lament. So graveside lessons on lament for us today. Let's pick up the story in verse 17 of John chapter 11. It says this. So again, Jesus now is making his way to Bethany. It says in verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. In this context, burial happened immediately. In our context, it's different today. So as soon as the person died, they were put into the tomb. That's why when Jesus came off the, off the cross, they immediately put him in the tomb. There wasn't this calling hours and then a few days later a burial, but it was immediately the, the deceased is put into the tomb. So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. So most likely when the messenger was sent to find Jesus on the way, Lazarus most likely died. It says, Bethany was less, this is where they live, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know he's going to rise again. Jesus said to her, I am. This is a pretty significant statement right here. These these I am statements throughout John. Here's one of them. I am, Jesus said, the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, Martha told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So here in this, these, sh- these uh, short verses here, few verses here, we find our first lesson. In the midst of her grief and loss, Martha moves towards Jesus. Here is a sister, and maybe some of you are there, have been there, as a sister, as a family member, grieving the loss of a loved one. In the midst of her grief and loss and pain in this moment, Martha moves towards Jesus. She moves towards Jesus. And do you notice when she moves towards him, there is an honesty with her thoughts. She says her her first words, at least John's recorded words for us here in verse 21 says, Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's brutally honest. Lord Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't be in the tomb. If you had shown up when we sent for you, he wouldn't have been in the tomb. If you had done what I'd seen you do or healed the way you healed other people, if you had done these things, we wouldn't be experiencing this pain right now. There is a brutal honesty and Mary, we'll, we'll read these in a verse in a few moments, but Mary says the same exact thing to Jesus. If you had been here, my brother, our brother wouldn't have died. The lesson for us to learn, we talked about this a little bit last week, but the, the pathway for lament, what lament is causing us or encouraging us, inviting us to do, is in the midst of our grief and pain, whether it's the death of a loved one or the death of a dream, isn't to move away from Jesus, but to move towards Jesus with our questions, with our emotions, with our God, if you had only. And depending on the loss you might even be thinking about right now. You have questions. We all do. God, why'd you allow? Why didn't you stop? Why did this person do this? We all have those questions as it relates to loss. And the challenge for you and I in the midst of loss isn't to move away from God, but to move towards him. And that's what lament invites us to do. When we, we talked last week about how when we read the Psalms, about a third of the Psalms are laments, Psalms of lament, where David, many are written by David, and David will say things like this, how long, O Lord, is this going to happen? How long, how, how long will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? David says, how long must I wrestle with these thoughts? How long must I wrestle with sorrow? David is brutally honest with what he's feeling. And in lament, in his words of lament, he is moving towards God and not away from him. He is getting the pain on the inside out instead of stuffing it down. He's acknowledging it. To God. He's moving towards him. And Martha and Mary, in the midst of their grief and loss, move towards God. They move towards Jesus. 
in our, in our uh, practice, as we think about lament, in your book on page 84, it talks about this. It says, acknowledge one of the steps we talk about. It says, acknowledge that you are angry or disappointed with God or with yourself or another person. Maybe in the midst of your grief and loss, there's anger towards God. There's anger towards uh, someone else. There's anger towards yourself. There's disappointment and not just anger and disappointment. There can be a variety of emotions that you are feeling. And what we learn at the graveside as we think about watch Martha is that she moves towards Jesus with her loss. The story continues in verse 28. It says this, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, the rabbi, the teacher, the one we've listened to and shared life with. He's here and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. She's, they think she's going back to the tomb to mourn and to weep and to wail. And when Jesus saw her weep, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And here's the same, same statement that Martha had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see, how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not, could he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Here's our second lesson. Jesus' tears, friends, give us a glimpse of how the Father feels over the grief we experience. We read earlier why Jesus was going to Bethany. He was going to wake Lazarus up. He knew why he was going. He knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. But we're told that when he gets there, there's this emotional response in him. Verse 33, it says, When he saw her weeping, Mary, and the Jews, so this community of people that were weeping with her, the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. What, that, what, what the classical Greek there is, that the word picture is actually the snorting of a horse. In the midst of battle, when a horse would snort, it was this outburst. It was this anger, this visceral response to what was happening. And this, this idea here is that Jesus had this, there's this anger that wells up in him as he sees what death, the pain that death has caused to people. He's angered by it. He's deeply moved. And remember who Jesus is. He is God in the flesh. So if we ever wonder, what is God's response to the pain, trauma, suffering, loss in our lives? We look at the example of Jesus, and he's deeply moved. He's angered 
by what he sees. And it's not only this anger on the inside, but verse 35, the shortest verse in all of the Bible. If you're going to memorize one, here you go. You got it. Hopefully you got it today. Jesus wept. Again, remember, he knows why he's going there. You would think he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. Why is he weeping? He's going to, pull, he's going to call him out of the tomb. Lazarus is going to walk out. But remember, Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And he lost a friend. A friend died. And he's seeing the pain that that death is causing. And even the pain in his own heart. And before he raises him from the dead, he weeps. He cries. The son of God sheds tears. In the loss of a friend. And I believe in shedding of tears, friends, Jesus is giving you and I permission to grieve the losses in our lives. To not feel like oh, I should be stronger, I shouldn't be weeping, this sh I shouldn't be still thinking about these things, I shouldn't be impacted by it so much, why can't I get past this, why do I hurt so much, I should be a stronger Christian. Jesus wept. Because one he loved, even the, the Jews who, they, they say it, they said the Jews said, see how he loved him. He weeps at the graveside of his friend Lazarus. So we see how God feels, responds to our suffering. We see God giving us permission to grieve, but we also see a God who gives us an example of what does it look like for you and I to enter the grief of someone else, to enter the grief of others, and the importance of you and I grieving our own, to be people who practice empathy. We might not be experiencing the same loss, but as you and I lament our own losses, we can then better enter the losses and mourn with those who mourn. That's what we're invited to do in the Bible. It says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And if we're not people who are mourning our own losses, it's going to be hard for us to mourn with others. I think we feel sometimes the awkwardness or tension. We don't know what to do with other people's pain. I think we've all been in that situation where we, we try to maybe fill it with sentence, uh, statements and like, what do you say? But maybe we don't try to say anything. Maybe we are just present and with people and cry with people and listen to people. It's so important for us to grieve our own losses and it helps us love like Jesus loved. Pete Scazzaro, who wrote a number of books, he's a pastor in Queens, New York. One of his books, early books, is The Emotionally Healthy Church. It's a phenomenal read. I encourage you to read it, um, pick it up. It's a great read. But Pete says this about grieving, the importance of lamenting or absorbing, learning from our growing through our own losses. Pete says this. He says, the church... Having learned, and having learned to absorb and grow through pain will bear the rich fruit of godlike compassion towards others. The ability to embrace our own losses and grief will equip us to love others as Jesus did. Friends, if you and I are continually pushing down our own pain, 
not paying attention to it, not lamenting it, not moving towards it, but away from it, and even trying to numb it in unhealthy ways, we are really going to struggle with loving people, especially in the midst of their own pain. And this is one of the ways, friends, we get to show up for people and bring hope by being present with them, not offering simple solutions or trying to fix it or take away their pain. But in our presence, letting them know you're not alone. And I'm willing to walk with you on this journey. Martha moves towards Jesus in the midst of her pain. Jesus' tears give us a glimpse of how the Father feels over our grief that we experience. And then one more lesson. Let me read the rest of this fascinating story. Jesus, again, once more deeply moved. It's the same idea, same word there, same words there, same response, that, that emotion inside, that anger, that outrage on the inside of what death has caused, the pain death has caused. He came to the tomb. This is where they've laid Lazarus. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take the stone, take away the stone. But Martha said to Martha, the sister of the dead man, they don't say Lazarus, he's now the dead man. By this time, there's a bad odor, for he had been in there four days. Now, the sense I get there is Martha is not expecting Jesus to bring him back to life right now. She's basically saying, Jesus, he's been in there four days. Like, it's, don't, like, we're not going to move the stone. He's dead. Some of you who have the King James version in front of you might even be smiling right now because uh, I love how the King James, uh, what talks about the bad odor, the King James literally says, he stinketh. That's literally what it says in the King James uh, over there. He stinketh. And then in verse 40, it says this, but Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. There's a sense that Jesus has already been praying about this before this moment. He's already been talking to his father about this. Maybe when he heard the news, maybe on the journey there, there's already been this conversation between him and his father about what's about to take place. But in these moments, he prays out loud for those who are around him to hear. He says, I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Man, to be a fly on a wall. Our third lesson from the graveside, friends, today is this. We grieve, we do grieve, but we grieve with hope. Knowing that death and pain will not have the final word. This text, friends, invites us to grieve, to mourn, to weep the death of loved ones and friends, to mourn and weep, lament the losses that occur in our lives every maybe week, every month, every year. It might seem insignificant, but they are losses to us. But friends, this text also says we do grieve, but we grieve with a hope. 
Based on how this story finishes, even uh, I think in some ways this story is foreshadowing what will take place a short time from now when Jesus is in a tomb and three days later he walks out of the tomb. It's foreshadowing that death and pain do not have the final word. That's not how it will end. Death and pain do not have the final word. In Christ, death is a defeated foe. It will not win, and death cannot overcome Jesus' life. Because, like he said earlier in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Death will not win. Life will win. So friends, when we grieve, we do grieve. This text gives us permission to grieve. Jesus wept. He didn't say to Mary and Martha, dry your eyes. Why are you crying? Why don't you have more faith? Be stronger. He weeps with them. And he invites us to weep, to grieve, to lament. But while we lament, we lament with a sense of hope, knowing this isn't the way it's going to end. This isn't the final word. We grieve with hope. We don't deny our emotions. We pay attention to them and we feel them. Knowing that death and pain will not have the final word. Wrapping up with this, loss, friends, is normal. I hope you hear today, uh, if you hear nothing else, hear this. Loss is normal to life. We will all experience it in different ways. It is not the exception. So with that reality in mind, we have some choices. What do we do with loss? Do we ignore it? Do we minimize it? My loss isn't as bad as, and you might be true, but it's still minimizing the loss that you are feeling. It's not paying attention to what's going on. It's not paying attention to the pain. You can deny it. You can say, I'm going I'm to work harder. I'm just going to forget about it. And that might work for a time. But our souls don't forget the pain. And they will, it will come out. And many times it comes out in unhealthy ways, even as we talked earlier. We can try to numb it, or we can walk the biblical pathway known as lament. And that's what we are inviting us to do as a church community, that when loss and pain comes into our lives as individuals, as families, as a church congregation, we need to pay attention to those things. And lament those losses that are in our lives so that we, our souls grow through it and we can mourn with others and we can love others with the compassion and love that Jesus did. Let's be people who walk this pathway and move towards God in the midst of our pain. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll sing a song, really a prayer, declaring how much we need Jesus. So God, I want to thank you for this uh, practice one, we don't maybe talk about much. It's hard to talk about. It's painful to talk about. It brings up uncomfortable things, feelings, emotions, situations. And God, I, I, I believe over these weeks, uh, even maybe today, there's a situation or two that is on our minds that you are, you are bringing to the surface. It's not by accident that these pains, losses are coming to our mind. We even have on a list in front of us maybe right now. And I believe they're all invitations. They're invitations to lament. They're invitations to move towards you and not away from you. 
I'm thankful that you are a God who is grieved by the pain that these losses bring to our lives, even that death brings into our lives. You see it all. You see all the pain. And I'm thankful for that reality. I'm thankful for the permission that your tears give us. Help us to be people that follow your example and mourn with those who mourn. And Lord, I pray we be people that mourn, lament, grieve with a hope. We can, in a way, even in the midst of our pain, know that death and pain don't have the final word. But I'm thankful today that you are the resurrection and the life. And that there is coming a day where you will make all things right. But until that day, God, we acknowledge our pain, we lament them, and we move towards you. Thank you for this practice. Help us to practice it. Not just talk about it, but to practice it. And we pray all these things, God, in your name. Amen.